Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Even in another off weekend, we are rocking and rolling here on the pod. And today, as you can see from the episode description, we have a homie on the show with us. Bradley, the breadmobile, the breadwinner, the breadman Perez. He has an exciting announcement to share with us, and I'm glad he's sharing some of it here. I'm happy for him as a person, as a friend, as a racer, and I can't wait for you guys to hear what Brad is cooking up, what loaf he's got in the oven. You see what I did there? That was really, really bad. Before we get started with our interview with Brad, Let's throw it back for the Wayback segment to the number 17, even though this is episode 118. I didn't have a say in this. My dad went rogue on me this week for his segment on my show. So instead of paying homage to somebody like, I don't know, who drove the number 18 car, he instead decided to do what he didn't do last week. I'll let him do the rest. Thank you, Duve. And welcome, everyone, to episode 118. I know Davey's expecting me to talk about Kyle Busch this week, but I just can't do it. Why? He's such a tool. So? I could talk about Dale Jarrett, one of my faves, but I already did that before. I could talk about Bobby Labonte, one of Mama Siegel's faves. Kachiga! But maybe another day. Kachiga. Last week, I skipped over 117 to talk about the Tour de France. I feel bad about that. So this week, we turn the Wayback Machine on our own podcast to revisit number 117 and Matt Kenseth. The Cambridge, Wisconsin campaigner ran almost 700 cup races over a 22-year career, mostly in the 17 car for Jack Roush. He won 39 races during that time, including two Daytona 500s, a Coke 600, a Southern 500, and a Sprint All-Star race. He was the Cup Series Rookie of the Year in 2000. He won the Cup Championship in 2003, and he was the IROC Champion in 2004. Kenseth had a mild-mannered outward appearance, but he had a long memory and took care of his business on the track. Case in point, 2015. At Kansas that year, Joey Logano spun Kenseth out of the lead and may have cost him the race. Two weeks later, at Martinsville, Kenseth was running nine laps down when he came back on the track and went looking for Logano. He found him and flat out wrecked him. The fans loved it. NASCAR, not so much. Kenseth was immediately DQ'd from the race suspended for two more, and put on probation. After his penalties were served, Kenseth owned up to his deliberate dumping of Logano, expressing no remorse. 
He also had a bit of controversy attached to his championship. He won only one race that year and clinched the title with a week to go, rendering the final race meaningless. Critics of the total points system, notably Roger Penske, argued for a new system that would put a premium on race wins and bring more excitement and viewers to the end of the season. As a result, Kenseth's 2003 title was the last one awarded under the old points system as NASCAR put in place its chase for the championship format beginning in 2004. That's all for this week's discussion of Matt Kenseth, as Dale Jr. likes to call him. We ever figure out where he got that from, Duve? Maybe you can ask him. Thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom, for the happy and the sad Kachiga. Again, you can hear me in the background. I had no say in this. This is against my will. But then again, it is his segment, so I guess he did what he had to do. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... We got no race to recap this week. Ty Gibbs won the Arca race, but what else is new, right? So let's go straight into our interview time with Brad Perez. I mentioned it. He's the breadwinner. He's a Miata mommy, all-around handyman in the NASCAR world. There's probably a job that you think he has not done in life, and then he's going to go ahead and say, yeah, I've done that job too. Talked about his life his career, his exciting announcement this week in the world of NASCAR. Here is my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Perez. It is a honor and a pleasure to welcome on a true homie to the pod this week. You know him and love him as a breadwinner, a Miata mommy from Miami, all-around handy man, Brad Perez. How we doing, buddy? It has been too long. I have not seen you in a long, long time, besides on Snapchat. So it's good to see you on Zoom. Uh, it's good to see you, Davey. It's, it's funny. We've come a long way, man, from the, the K&N days, seeing yeah. you out there, and uh, now you're doing it big. I, I, it's so good to see you. I don't get to see you enough, man, but I'm, I'm happy to see you. I know. I know. Well, we're going to get to why I'm going to be seeing you very, very soon in a little bit. But for those of you that are clicking on this podcast and they're like, man, Davey's had on Jamie Little. He's had on Alan Bestwick. I know all these names, some Xfinity drivers, some truck drivers. Who the heck is Brad Perez? I think I've seen him on Twitter. I think he works for Rackley. Maybe he works for Martin's Motorsports. Check, please. Check, please. Yes, you do. So tell the people why they should know who you are and what you do in motorsports, specifically in the truck and the Xfinity series. Uh, my first question, I mean, you don't really have to know who I am. I really, I don't think it's relevant enough. I feel like you'd be fine with your life if you didn't know who I was. <laughs> your life will be better if you do. <laughs> oh, dude, I, thank you. Uh, well, uh, well, I'm Brad Perez and um, I, uh, I do the most is what I like to say. And uh, I Facts. work a lot of jobs and, and the the general range of the motorsport industry uh been a big fan of racing ever since i was a little kid and uh did whatever i could really to kind of jump from being an everyday person and working a 95 job a lot of those and uh ended up working in the nascar industry for a lot of awesome teams jd motorsports is where i got my start um worked with a lot of imsa teams like as volunteering i volunteered for rick Ware racing a little bit before i actually started working uh, currently working for Martin's Motorsports, uh, Rackley, Willie Allen Racing, 
Also, uh, I'm an instructor at the BMW Performance Academy in Greer, South Carolina. It's another everybody really keeping cool count because you're gonna have to. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do a lot of stuff, but honestly, it's out of love. I mean, I love racing, I love motorsport, I love the people around it. I think that's the reason why I stayed so long. On top of just you, love of competition, you know. What do you do for Rackley? What do you do for Martin's Motorsports? Because you're at the track almost every single week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just about, uh, this is probably the, we're in the two week break right now. So this is the, the longest break I've had <laughs> outside of a racetrack. <laughs> and, uh, since like the start of the year, uh, I'm a tire specialist for Rackley. Um, also a tire specialist for Martin's Motorsports and, uh, kind of a, a unique position where it's, uh, you would think that it's just tires, but it's, it's the logistics of it. It's the planning of it. It's the incorporating race strategy into that. Um, it's a, it's a really cool hands-on uh, experience that I, I get to work with a lot of these great teams and great people like Chad Kendrick, Buddy Cisco, mm-hmm. um, Dan Stillman. So it, it's it's a really cool opportunity that I'm able to do that with those guys. I don't think I've ever dug into the weeds with you on the role that you are as a tire specialist. So for my reporter, journalist perspective, 30,000-foot view, I think of tire specialists and I think, all right, he's the dude who's getting the pressures, putting them up or bringing them down before pit stop. He uses the fire torch and the and the razor thing to to get the rubber off and then check pressures. And maybe he'll give information to the crew chief about, well, if you want to make the car tighter, you can do this, go looser, do that, whatever. So dive into the details a little bit for us. What is a tire specialist for an underfunded team in Xfinity and a mid-pack team in the truck series specifically? What does somebody like you do day to day and on a weekly basis for those teams? So uh, that position, uh, currently I'm, I'm blessed enough to be able to do that part-time and part-time meaning so just at the racetrack and whenever necessary. Right. Um, but in general, that that position is exactly what you said. So during the race where we're getting data, pressures from start to uh, cold pressures to hot pressures, we're also uh, managing wear, seeing what the wear is like, putting them into sets, seeing what... Uh, set of tires will get you looser through a run or tighter through a run and and just dependent on our setup. But uh, for a small team, really what the the role of the tire specialist is to make sure that we're getting the best opportunity to give ourselves the cheapest weekend possible with tires and also kind of play that game with your relationships. So um, honestly, some of the great relationships I've built in the garage was because of being that underfunded guy, uh, the underfunded tire specialist. So uh, let's say start of a weekend, if you needed four sets for a race and there was a truck race or a cut practice before that race, your job is to scrounge around to the garage and see uh, what is your opportunities to get sticker tires or in some situations, sometimes scuffs uh, to be able to run a race as competitively as possible. And uh, at Martin's Motorsports uh, in the last year, we have kind of jumped to a situation where we are competitive just about every week. So it's not in a benefit for us to get scuffs, so but it's in a benefit for us to save money. So mm-hmm. in in that sense, we're always looking for opportunities to buy sticker tires off of people, whether they drop out early in the race, whether uh, it was from the truck race last night. Um, you know, so it really comes down to who you know, because you can't buy tires off of people who are strangers to you. So it's all about those relationships. It's all about kind of knowing the the play of the race and um, acting accordingly. And I think. Over the last year, I've probably done a decent job. I think I've earned my my keep kind of being able to do Definitely. that. So uh, I'm, I'm proud of my position. I do love working for both of those teams, and they kind of help out each other. So it's an awesome deal. 
It's interesting because I hear all these stories from old crew chiefs and drivers saying, you know, well, this guy dropped out of the race and we went over there and we got we got a set of tires and we did this, we did that. But they make it seem like it's so simple and it's just like, yeah, well, you know, we run 26th and 27th next to each other every week. We're in the garage. We're both underfunded teams balling on a budget. So, you know, we just get their tires. And it may seem that simple, but it's not like the driver's radioing to the crew chief of the other team being like, hey, since you dropped out, can we get your tires? You're that person. You're the one that's going to these teams and knocking on their pit box and saying, hey, you mind if we grab some? And I'm sure they do similar things with you guys as well. So you're right. It is all about relationships. I mean, in any industry, it's all about who you know. We understand. But specifically for your job and what you're doing on a part-time basis at the track, you got to have relationships with these teams and these individuals to help you out to be able to do your job. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. Some of my, my, my favorite friendships I've had in the garage are just people who they're grinding and then they needed to figure out, you know, how are they going to make it to this weekend? How can they save the most money? I mean, guys like, yeah. like Spencer Davis with his truck team, we've done business with him a lot. I mean, go fast racing, um, Curtis Aldridge, a lot of those guys, you know, um, they, they're just all grinding. BJ McLeod's people, they, they grind as well. And uh, it's, it's awesome. The relationships that have formed because of that grind of trying to get the best deal. And you're wearing a fire suit. Like, I don't know if you're going over the wall necessarily. You've done it a time or two. I remember but you're, you're in the trenches. You are at the pit stall, helping with the pit stops, doing pressures, sweating your butt off, having these unreal-looking pit crew snacks. I see that on Twitter. Uh, so you're in it. It's not like you're just sitting on the sidelines taking pressures. Like, you're in it. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I haven't put on the fire suit in a couple of weeks, and I'm still oh, on that because we have an awesome seventh man It's uh, or sixth man. It's uh, Michael. He's uh, he, he hooks it up. <laughs> Shout out to Michael. Shout out to Michael. Um, but uh, – yeah, it's it's the easiest job is doing the actual tire guide duties, but the harder job is having to do that and then being like, oh, somebody just dropped out of the race. I just checked it on my phone. Let me run over there or text the guy or, you know, yeah. that type of thing. So incorporating both of those things is a little difficult, um, but in general, it's all worth it. That's a good point because you're you're at the pit stall, so it's not like you're watching the race broadcast. So you're kind of following on Twitter and like getting texts from people saying like, oh, so-and-so dropped out, go talk to him. It's not like you're listening to the scanner and scanning who's out of the race. So you have to be on the lookout 24-7, it seems like. Yeah. So, you know, on a, you ever filled out like a job application, they, you have to take like a survey and the survey says, yeah. um, is, are what is your proficiency in multitasking? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this is one of those where it's like, Pretty good, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Under pressure, I guess. Time yeah. sensitive. <laughs> yeah. You got to have all the skills to be a tire specialist. Clearly. Learning something new every day. Yeah. Yeah. And so shout out to everybody in the trenches over there. There's a lot of multi-role people that work on these small teams. And the, the success of their small team very much lies into the, the knowledge of their tire specialist. or so the person that buys their tires, not necessarily is always a tire specialist. So... Uh, and that's a difference between hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of a, of a season. So a uh, really important role. When you're like buying tires off of these teams, like, are you going to them with like $200 bills being like, yo, could we get a set? Or is it like, yeah, we'll get you back on Monday. H how does that work financially? The transactions? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's different. It, it depends on, on who it is and it depends on the connection. Um, I'm like in the situation with Rackley and, and Martin's Motorsports, um, 
because Willie Allen and Tommy Joe Martins are, are such good friends, uh, we, we set up a situation where we just figure it out because we're both on the executive level. We, we understand each other, but when it seems that they don't know each other as well, or, you know, you don't deal with this person very often, it's very much a, Hey, we need money in hand because if, if this person's asking for set amount and this person's asking for set amount and they have money in hand, money in hand will win every time. So yeah. um, it's always stay prepared, stay on top of it, know your deal, know the situation, know that the, the prices will change depending on the situation. Like if we're at Talladega, um, the difference between a set of stickers and a set of scuffs is very, very small. So it's like, you're not gonna get a set of scuffs for very cheap at, at Talladega. But Whereas if you go to Atlanta or Darlington or Homestead, the difference is probably astronomical. Yeah, you're probably not even going to sell a set of scuffs. You might as well just junk them at, at those tracks. But, yeah. you know, even like a, a moderate wear track, like uh, like in the past, like a Kentucky, like you're probably going to be able to sell a set of scuffs, but albeit so much cheaper. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Well, people are saying, wow, Brad knows a lot about racing. That's because he's a racer himself. <laughs> Before we get to what we're what we're here to talk about, let's talk about your spec Miata racing. You are a racer yourself. You've also done some Legends car stuff, I know. I feel like you've raced a lot of different things, and you've been in the seat of a lot of different vehicles. And clearly, even though your quote-unquote weekend job, part-time job, people may know you from doing tire stuff for the Xfinity and the truck team, racing is the backbone of everything that you stand for and everything that you do. You really, really enjoy it, specifically the spec Miata stuff. And that's why you have moved to Charlotte, try to make a career in this because racing is what brought you here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's I, I say it, it's like the coolest disease ever or the coolest addiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very cool addictions. All addictions are bad. Mostly uh, nope. this one is is a blessing because it's it's pushed me to do things that I never thought I'd, I'd be able to do. It's pushed me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I was mm -hmm. not. You know, growing up, I mean, like, I guess people consider me outgoing, but I'm very much like to myself, but um, racing has kind of like opened that door and let me be a little bit more social and, and let me kind of explore a, a real passion because I, I have a bunch of things that I like, but nothing drives me more like the just racing in general, just being able to race, being able to be competitive, like just in an opportunity where if we're just at a random gathering and somebody has says like, hey, let's let's race this lawnmower. I'd be like, hell Like I will be the most excited person <laughs> for like no reason. Like it means absolutely nothing, but I, I'd be stoked. So, uh, just what racing has done for my life is, is awesome. And even just to be at this, this level, even just to be here talking with you, it's, it's only because of that drive. Speaking of that drive, let's talk about driving. Give us your credentials. <laughs> What have you raced in? How long have you raced in it? Where have you raced? How have you done in those races? Lay it all out on the table for us. So uh, when I was a kid, I've always wanted to race. Uh, didn't really have the means to do so. My my dad actually, uh, one day, I was like eight years old, and we went to uh, Miami GP Raceway in Opalaka, Florida. Shout out Rudy Ramsaru. Shout out uh, Risa Racing. Um, <laughs> I did a test there, and I think it was like a mini Swift. Uh, did a couple laps, spun out on my third lap, uh, got back going. And, uh, after that, uh, I thought we were going to still race. So I was like, yeah, we're going to, it's going to be awesome. Never went back. And, uh, I was super bitter about it. Uh, cause I was a kid and that's all I wanted to do. And I thought we were going to do it, yeah. but, uh, um, financial hardships. Like my parents had uh, lost their jobs. It was a really tough situation for our family. 
And at the time I didn't really understand it, but I, I obviously now I'm like, I get it. Um, so kind of went off through my life and didn't race really much until I was 17. Uh, went back to Risa, went back to Opalaka, uh, got approached by Rudy Ramsarup. And he said, we're starting this, this situation where we're going to race four stroke carts, LO206, uh, using an animal Briggs motor. Uh, started that back up in Homestead. So it's a racetrack right outside turn one at Homestead Miami Speedway. Nick Race Sanchez there. cut his teeth there, yo. Yeah, yeah, that's I met Nick there as well. Um, yep. So he raced there for quite a bit. Um, won a couple races. It was really awesome. Uh, met a lot of great people, and that kind of led me to wanted to do the Miata thing. Um, and uh, I asked my dad, I was like, hey, you know, I've been racing these carts. I feel like I'm comfortable wheel to wheel. I, I think I could do this, but I don't have the money to do this. Uh, I've been racing carts off of my uh, money that I spent uh, working <laughs> at a yogurt shop. And, and how uh, old are you at this point? Uh, 17. So. so you're spending your own money. This is all on your own dime. Yeah, it was kind of stupid, but it was, it was all I wanted to do. So passion, my parents, <laughs> parents let me live at home and I was going to school and I was like, man, make the best out of this. So, um, yeah, I just kept racing. And uh, once I convinced my dad to do the Miata thing, um, he was like, well, if we're going to do this, if I'm going to get this car, you're working on it and you're paying for the entry and you're paying for the tires and you're doing all that stuff. I'll help you out. But that's that's you. And I was like, OK, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and um, a couple of years later, we ran a lot of national races in Spec Miata. Um, the reason why I chose Spec Miata is because although it is the heaviest field to compete in, usually most weekends, it's like 60 to 70 cars on a regional level. You're still getting 25 to 30 cars. So even if you don't do well, it's a character builder. It's where you're facing a lot of people who have a lot of experience who either couldn't afford to go to the next level or do, and they want to come to do something more competitive. And Spec Miata was that place where I could cut my teeth and really understand what my talent level was, what my talent level was as a mechanic, uh, as somebody who wants to learn how to go faster, make the car faster, yeah. things of the sort. So I raced that for a couple of years, went to the national level, got to race at the SCCA runoffs last year. It's really mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, and that wasn't possible un- unless I had the sponsorship. So obviously the racing underdogs, tobychristie.com, bar visuals, uh, Luke creative, big evil racing, um, moonhead, a bunch of awesome partners that I, I got to go through living room dance floor has been one of the, the, the longest supporters of my racing and did it even at the regional level. So I was able to do that. Um, I kind of reached the point where I was like, man, financially, this is just almost not feasible. <laughs> Uh, this is very difficult to do so competitively once I, I, my talent level got to the point where I was like, man, I really got to put some money into this. And, um, I decided to go legend car racing with the thanks of, uh, Scott Corman at little Gator racing, um, uh, and Holly Hill, Florida, or I think it was, uh, no mountain Dora, Florida. And I raced a little bit of short track stuff at citrus County speedway, Auburndale, um, uh, did a couple races there placed really well. I was super surprised. Got the opportunity to go to Charlotte, race a little uh, legend car stuff in Charlotte. Uh, just a little mile, bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> a little couple one-offs. Uh, mm-hmm. Did some road course racing as well. Did that. And mm-hmm. um, raced a lot of other weird stuff. Endurance racing. Chuck Carr did a, a race in a birdcage Miata with Risa Racing and a couple of their development karting drivers, which was an awesome opportunity to coach for the first time. Um, and uh yeah, that kind of led me to here. Uh, now that I'm working uh, a lot in motorsport, I don't have many weekends off, so I make a little bit of time to be able to race on weekends sometimes. And uh, that led me to the last race opportunity that I had with TobyChristie.com. Michael Carey set that up. Awesome. 
that we got to race the Roval and win a couple races in the Miata. It's pretty fun. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what led me to here. Was that the weekend? Because I remember I was talking to you and you were at a racetrack and I think you either flew home early or you might have missed the Xfinity or the truck race to go back and race. Was that the one that you were talking about? Uh, so I think it was. So there was a couple situations that that's happened in the past. First Definitely. time was, I'm sure it's happened more than once. Yeah. Uh, Richmond in 2019, uh, I was racing the 14 hours of Daytona and Chuck car. And, uh, the race was on, uh, I believe it was on, no, the Xfinity race was on Friday night in Richmond. So the race finished the Friday night in Richmond. I got on a plane, went to Daytona, got to Daytona at 10 AM. The race started at noon. Drove from the airport to the track it, from Orlando to Daytona. Got in the car second, straight from the plane. Uh, did that. Um, I've done one where the wow. SCCA runoffs. And uh, last year, uh, me and Preston actually did the whole week at the runoffs. Um, and he had to race the Roval race last year in September um, at the Roval. It was October. And uh, he got off the track from winning the runoffs. I finished like 30-something. And uh, got on a plane went to Charlotte together. We both drove to the track and then we did the Roval race. I worked it. He raced it. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's happened a couple times. <laughs> I bet. Well, man, yeah. that journey, and we'll get into a little bit more, has led you to this very moment. I will give you the floor because you have a very, very exciting announcement to make. I'm giddy just thinking about it. So take <laughs> it away before I spill the beans. Uh, first thing, Davey, I, I, want, I want to thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, I'm honest, blessed to be in front of you to be able to make this announcement. It's crazy. I wouldn't have thought this would have happened a couple years ago when we met. But uh, I would like to uh, announce that I'm about to take my talents to Josh Williams Motorsports. Yeah, baby! To race, <laughs> to race the number 60. Rackley Roofing Chevy in the Arca Menard Series at Watkins Glen mm. on August 6th. Super excited. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes, sir. Let's go. Brad yeah. Perez will be in the Arca Menard Series race at Watkins Glen. Let me just say that again for the people in the back. Brad Perez, the Miata Mommy from Miami, is going to be in the Arca Menard Series race at Watkins Glen. Josh Williams Motorsports. You said number 60. I was clapping. I didn't hear you. Yes, number 60. <laughs> number 60, Rackley Roofing. Is it a Chevrolet? It's Chevrolet. Chevrolet. <laughs> Hell yeah, buddy. This is amazing. It, it's honestly un unbelievable. When you told me this was happening, I said, I got to get you on because your journey, as, as you've mentioned, we've only just hit the tip of the iceberg, has taken you so many different places and so many different facets of motorsports in the industry from the driving side to the mechanic side to the tire specialist side but racing as i mentioned is the backbone of everything and to now have the opportunity to race in arca you can make good money in arca by the way uh, <laughs> unbelievable dude I'm, I'm just so stoked for you just i know it's as cliche as it gets but when you found out that this was actually going to be happening you scrounged up all the money to make this happen and the opportunity is there for the taking what were your emotions, man? Man, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, this happened a couple days ago where I was uh, I was home. This was like on crunch time day. Uh, this was like, if I don't get this money today, it's not happening. It just is simply not enough time to make this happen. It's still kind of not enough time to make this happen. We're going <laughs> at it. Uh, but um, I, 
I was on the back porch and uh, we have like three houses very close to our backyard. And I about screamed, <laughs> jumping up and down the backyard. Probably the most stoked I'd been in a long time, man. Oh, yeah. Just to get the call and, and say that, that yes, like we're going to do it. Um, I I don't even think, honestly, it's set in too much yet because there's a lot of work that has to be done to make this work mm-hmm. logistically, to make this work on the content side, to make this work on on every side. Hopefully by the time this is up, the content side, you will see part of it. <laughs> yes, um, foreshadowing, yes. but I uh, hope you guys like the video. But uh, <laughs> just... Uh, just a lot to get done, just the car in general, just getting all the pieces right, getting all the right people together. Um, and obviously the preparation on my side, it's my first time driving a stock car, uh, driven a late model before. Um, and in the butterfly effect, it's funny because uh, I wouldn't have driven that late model if it weren't for Josh Williams. So um, just just little things. And uh, I don't think it's really going to set in until cars in the box and I'm heading my way up north. So a lot of different things to touch on here. Let, let's start with Josh Williams first, because as you know, I had him on the show less than a month ago, and that was the first time that I really got the chance to talk with him, learn a lot about him. The dude is unbelievably cool, unbelievably passionate about racing. And the thing that stuck out to me was when he was talking about his driver development program and basically said about the other manufacturer-driven ones, you know, those are check-ins and savings accounts. Mine's an actual driver development program. And I think this opportunity that he's giving you, Brad, it's not necessarily saying I'm going to make Brad my development driver, but it's it's basically saying like I value talent. I value hard work. Even though this driver is not bringing me tens of thousands of dollars, he's worked his ass off to get here. He's developed this relationship with me personally. I see that he has the drive in him and he has the talent above all else. He's scratched and clawed the money to get here. Who would I be the one to to not give him this opportunity and this ride when it's there for the taking. So you having a relationship with Josh and him being the way that he is character wise in terms of in the racing world, it seems like a really, really perfect match. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause it's me being a fan of the sport, uh, growing up, it's like, I followed a lot of, uh, the guys that came from like the local Florida short track scene and, yeah. um, seeing the, the success that Josh has had and seeing that it all, it's all a family run effort for him. It was him and his dad. Uh, it was not coming from a lot of money as opportunities that, that was presented in front of him. And he made the best of it with as little as possible, but got there with skill, got there with mechanical prowess. And that's not something that I think I have, honestly, I'm not the best mechanic in the world. Um, but I do love to learn. And, and Josh Williams is one of those people where he loves people that have that drive and, and have that want to learn. And uh, he's willing to work with just about anyone. And that goes from from Bandoleros all the way up to where he is now. And he keeps his guys with him. And it's it's a family. So um, from one Floridian to another Floridian, uh, we both very much understand each other from like a personal standpoint. Like yeah. we're very much like we think the same um, other than the fact that he is like a pure racer when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. He will spare absolutely no resource in his power to be able to, to do as well as he can on the track. And he takes that to heart. Like I, I remember a situation last, last month where we were at the summer shootout and our, our development driver, uh, Bryce Applegate, um, we were running the summer shootout and uh, the thing got loose over the run and it wasn't working out. And, and he finished, I think it was like fourth or something. And Josh got, well, as soon as Bryce got out of the car and he just went to Bryce and he said, I failed you guys today. Like it's unacceptable. Like, we're going to get better. I'm sorry, guys. 
like to all of us, to his parents, to him. And it was like, dude, he finished fourth. Like, and to him, that's unacceptable. And that just goes to show that it's, it's really is. It's not about the bank account to him. It's not about the, the clout. It's not about any of that. It's about seeing good people succeed, going fast and having fun. And like, it's funny. He reiterated that to me uh, in a phone call a couple minutes ago that we're just going to go out there and have a good run and we're going to have fun. And this is what it's about. It's about learning. It's about getting to the next level. And he knows where I'm at and uh, just to get me better. I'm going to have fun watching you and I'm going to be there in person too. So you'll be able to shank me in person, but I'm, I'm just so hyped to see it happen. And I know I've seen on Twitter, like you and Josh interact all the time. I've seen on the grid in person before COVID, maybe during COVID too. I don't know. I mean, you guys are on the grid poking fun at each other. You guys clearly got a good friendship before this, this deal even came together. So how did that friendship form and how did it start? So uh, I'm going to go back to that butterfly effect, right? So, uh, so this is the levels of, of where this comes from. So I'm going to start at Ryan Vargas. So Ryan Vargas gets the ride at Rev Racing. Uh, I go to meet him at the, uh, the New Smyrna K&N Series race in 2018. Uh, after doing that, uh, he moves to North Carolina. Uh, I had the opportunity to race that legend car, so I needed to stay somewhere. I didn't really have any money. Uh, he offered to, for me to bum on his couch. I was like, absolutely. Thank you so much. So we have that friendship. I bum on his couch. Um, I have a connection at JD Motorsports, uh, Jay Lopez, who currently works with me at Martin's Motorsports. And uh, he's like, hey, man, just if you want to do anything, I know you don't have anything to do for about a week, like come work at JD Motorsports. So I'm like, for sure, I'll do that. Go to JD Motorsports, work for a little bit, uh, become friends with Brian Barry. He's like, man, if you needed a job, I got you. I was like, wow, really? So I moved to North Carolina, uh, middle of the year and, uh, live with Ryan. Um, and because of that, I'm in the garage. It's 2019. Uh, meet Josh Williams, up and coming driver. He's, uh, racing for DGM. Uh, you spotted the mullet right away. I bet. Spot, yeah. Spotted him right away. Uh, From obviously a mile DGM, away. Florida guys. So, um, obviously, you know, Kyle Allen with him, a lot of underfunded team guys. We all, we're all mm-hmm. friends with each other. So, uh, I meet Josh and, uh, here's a funny story. So forgot what track we were at, but this man is putting a new right side exhaust skirt on his car and he is drilling the holes in this, in this sheet of aluminum. <laughs> and he's like, like making the side skirt with his full fire suit on and I'm recording <laughs> him and I'm like, buddy, since when do you work here? <laughs> and he's like, gotta do what you can, bud. He's, like, <laughs> he's doing that. And we're, we're hitting it off. And um, there comes a time where um, we're at Darlington. And um, I said, hey, I came up with a little bit of money. And I wanted to test the late model, see what I can do. And uh, I trusted Josh because of our all of our talks about racing on the grid in 19. And he's like, hey, man, you need to hit up Danny Johnson. He has a nice late model. He was my ARCA crew chief. I was like, awesome. Meet up with Danny Johnson, do the test. Me and Danny Johnson hit it off. He gets me my job at Martin's Motorsports because <laughs> uh, he ended up crew chiefing that deal. And uh, yeah. after that, still hanging out with Josh, finds out that he has his ARCA team. And he goes in the offseason like, hey, man, well, if, if you ever want to do a race, like, let me know. I still have all my stuff still in the shop. I didn't touch it ever since the end of the 2016 season. Right. They have a race since then. Yeah, we've done the ARCA test a couple times with Ryan yeah. Vargas. They did an ARCA mm-hmm. test uh, in, uh, I believe it was 19. or actually Full no, circle. Yeah, early 2020. 20. And uh, yeah, and uh, 
then that's kind of when the inkling came in my mind. I tried to do the Daytona road course race. Obviously didn't work out, but he was like, man, if you were to do it, we have the car. And I was like, all right, I'll keep that in mind. And it all comes to today where, uh, um, he still gave me the offer. The offer was still on the table. And I said, man, Watkins Glen would be the perfect opportunity. And he goes, you come up with it and I got your car, buddy. And, uh, here we are. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. It's, it's unreal. Cause I remember I saw you post that, that series of tweets at this point is probably a few months ago, basically explaining to people like, you may know me as this person, but I race. It's really what I want to do. I have an opportunity to run, a, run the ARCA race, but I don't come for money. I don't really have a lot of big time sponsors. I could really use your guys' help and just spreading the word or potentially even chipping in to try to help out. That kind of went semi-viral within the NASCAR Twitter community, got some traction. Then you bumped it back and you're like, hey, we're pretty close. Like, I, th- I think we could do this. And boom, here we are. It's crazy the power of social yeah. media, right? Yeah, man. I just, it's, it's crazy because I, so like I was saying earlier, it's like, this industry and like racing in general kind of pushes you outside of your comfort zone. And my comfort zone is I hate, hate asking people for things. I absolutely despise it. It puts a terrible taste in my stomach, in my mouth. I like, I want to throw up thinking about it, but <laughs> um, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like, you got to understand that like this business is about straight up asking. You got to ask, you got to put yourself out there. You got to like, do those things. And I was super sure against shot. making a post. Like I really didn't want to do it. Um, I just, I, I felt it's, like it's it was not a, li- like for those listening that don't know Brad, I know him and that's not really like him. That's why I was kind of yeah. surprised when you did it. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, man, I really don't want to do this, but uh, I put so much stock into this opportunity and uh, I had a backer that was silently, he was like, I'm going to help you out. Um, he ended up not being able to do that. But it's okay because honestly, he was a great friend of mine, and he's gonna be at Watkins Glen, and I'm really excited. He's super excited. Uh, I don't, I don't hold that against him. Like, but that he kind of almost lit the fire in me that was like, yo, we, I, this can happen. Like, if if it all it takes is some support, and I, I think with the leverage that honestly NASCAR Twitter has shown me, it's like any business that hops on would see a benefit from this because you will have the support of all those people regardless of who you are. And uh, that, that love honestly made me think, man, you know what? I think, I think this would make sense. So I put it out there and I had a couple of people grab for it, but honestly what that even did was kind of drive me to be like, I'm going to call favors from the people who I have never called favors for before. And I just wanted to be as sincere as possible and say like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not just asking for money. I'm asking for us to build together. And I want to be able to return something to you. And I feel like I can with this opportunity. So um, I, I'm thankful to have uh, Krista Construction come on board. They, they really do believe in my story. And they actually, they, they support me so much. That they said, we want you to represent a foundation that, that you support uh, the most. Wow. Because it's, it's not about our name. It's about helping you out. And I wanted to, yeah. So uh, I actually just want to say it. I, I wanted to announce that also the Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital Foundation will be on our car on behalf of Krista Construction. Uh, awesome. They're from Hollywood, Florida, where I'm from. I was actually born at Memorial Regional Hospital right across the street, and I was a patient. How could you tra- not love this freaking story right now? <laughs> if you're listening and you're like, who is this? This is amazing. It's unreal. Thank you, Davey. But, uh, I actually, I worked as a patient transporter at, at, uh, at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, um, and uh, 
there uh, I actually got to be really close with the family and and for all the, the people who work there and uh, I noticed kind of what that foundation does for for kids and what they do is is they help in situations where you don't have money for a procedure that could possibly save your child give your child a better life um, it gives a, a fund for for parents to pick into to pay for those medical procedures and uh, honestly that that's huge that's huge for the South Florida community uh, they're a really big uh, supporter of, of South Florida children's charities and and such. So I wanted to make sure that that they were represented really well and I want to give my shot at it. So uh, it's cool to give them a platform. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks to Krista Construction. Thanks to Dodomaggio Children's Foundation. Uh, I would love for everyone to, to check that out to support them. I just can't overstate how how this is such a feel good story. It really is. Like even if I wasn't your friend, I would be looking at this from the outside and listening to this saying like, this is so cool. This dude is pursuing his dreams. He's worked on the side to try to get an opportunity like this. Now he's finally getting it with the friend that he's had for a while. And they're both just kind of little dudes from South Florida, just trying to make it. And now he's, we're putting charities on the car. Like it, this is awesome. And, and that means a lot to you too, because you told me before when we were setting this up, you know, sponsorship means a lot to you. It, it's not one of those things where it's, you know, oh, really want to thank the sponsors on the car. You know, they, they give me this opportunity. I mean, we've seen it with tobychristie.com. You make videos with them all the time. Sponsorship and developing those relationships and pushing those out to the public so that they can see how important they are to you, that is really important to you. And you wanted to make that very, very clear, which I respect. Yeah, I, I don't have enough hours in the day and in this conversation <laughs> to really like say how much yeah. that that that. I'm appreciative of that because sponsorship is, for me is not just the most important thing. It's the only thing. It's the only reason why I'm here talking to you. It's the only reason why I ever got the opportunity to drive a Miata. It's the only reason why I was able to even just do anything here. I mean, honestly, like just sitting in this house right now, I mean, if, if it weren't for the sponsorship, honestly, I wouldn't be able to afford to live, honestly, because I, 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 put, I put my own money into this deal. It's kind of dumb, but I do because I, I love it. And and the fact that, that the sponsors have given me the ability to be able to live my dream and uh, even get me this far, I mean, it's, it's, it's a miracle. And uh, I just, it can't go understated that sponsorship is the only reason why I'm here today. And that's why I want to always give a shout out to everyone who's ever supported me. And I don't care if it's I, I'm, I'm going to be in Watkins Glen with Miraculous Roofing Car that the only reason why I even got into that conversation is because of the racing underdogs. And it's the only reason is because Living Room Dance Floor supported me. And it's it all comes down to it. Like, I'll, I'll be thanking my first ever sponsor. Like, As you should. It be, because that, that's it's 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 what gets me there. So I, I just it, it can't go understated. I wish I had the better words to to really describe how much it means, but I, I'm serious, man. It, it's, it's everything. Yeah. No, the point comes across loud and clear and it's, it's genuine too. Like I, I can tell, uh, have you ever raced at the Glen before in a Miata and anything SCCA, or is this going to be your first time like in a, in an actual race? So, uh, I have driven on Watkins Glen. Uh, I was in a Miata. It was not a racing setting. Uh, it was a track day and, uh, I did, a couple laps there so i'm familiar with the track obviously in a miata it's extremely different but um i'm familiar at least with the landscape of the track i'm not going to be completely foreign to the whole area the garages and whatnot um but uh yeah uh crewed there a couple times uh so walk is not very foreign to me uh but 
either way, a stock car is going to be totally different. But I have to thank uh, a lot of my support system for getting me acclimated with uh, the intricacies of stock car racing and stock car racing at the short track. And that would be Scott Heckert, uh, Will Rogers, uh, Cody Ware, uh, of course, Josh Williams, he's driven there a couple times. Um, those guys have really like given me the notes, given me all the very important details that I would need, uh, to be able to hop in there first practice, which is qualifying and, uh, make something happen. So, um, uh, but yeah, thanks to those guys. And, uh, also thanks to, uh, the experience of being a crew guy, uh, understanding the, what you really need at a road course. I got to listen yeah. to it from a couple of different perspectives, different drivers, different crew chiefs. So I have a general idea now of kind of what I need and, I just have to apply it when we get over there. I don't want to get carried away because this is your first stock car start in a race, but I was talking with Josh Balicki the other day and he raced a lot of Miatas as well. And he was talking to me about how ironically Miatas actually compared to cup cars because you have to drive them with such low horsepower. That momentum is really, really important. And I'm curious if you think at all that, you know, being a crew member and seeing the ins and outs and how things need to get put together to get the car on the racetrack and to have the car run well. And then also from the driving perspective, running Miatas on these tracks nationwide and seeing how momentum based that type of racing is similar to big, heavy stock cars. That's probably got to give you a semi good feeling going into a race where you shouldn't really have a good feeling considering you've never been in these cars on this track in this series. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. Josh Blicky's also been really instrumental in this. I, I'm sorry. I left his name out, but, uh, yeah, just Josh has also been super instrumental in like the the sponsorship related thing. He has been a person I can lean on, and also somebody in the ra the racing side. Uh, he raced uh, Spec Miata with East Street Racing. Uh, one of the people who helped me, Jim Drago, uh, who's also connected to Preston Partis. And um, the thing about the Miatas is, it's one of those road racing classes where, although low horsepower, um, it, you got to understand that it's no ABS, H pattern shifter no power steering. So all those very basic things, uh, apply to, to, yeah, apply to stock car racing. So in stock car racing, you have to use an H pattern shifter and, um, in Miatas, you got a heel toe. Obviously the easier version of that is just blipping a downshift, just like you would do in a stock car. Uh, it applies to that as well. Um, when it comes down to racecraft, I think that's the most important thing. I picked Preston Partis's brain about this. Well, racecraft mm -hmm. in a 70 car Miata field becomes a lot easier said than done but when you apply that to a stock car race those same techniques that you use in trying to pass in a very hard to pass series with low horsepower you get on the throttle just a little bit quicker you turn in just a little bit better you roll the center just a little bit better the same things that, that can apply in a low horsepower car where if you make a mistake you're done by 10 car lengths you will learn that and apply that tenfold in a stock car so um, a lot of those really small details and just making sure you're perfecting every small little detail like you have to do in the auto racing to be successful going jumping to the stock car. It almost sounds easier. Uh, hopefully in practice that is easier, but, um, but yeah, that gives me a little more confidence and uh, possibly the Miatas give me a good platform. Last question on the, on the racing side of things in terms of the Miatas. So during this whole time, while you've been crewing for Rackley and Martin's Motorsports and, you know, working for JD and sleeping on Ryan's couch, you've still been racing on and off in the Miatas and in Legends as well. So currently, the, the ARC opportunity with Josh Williams Motorsports aside, how often do you race? When do you race? Where do you race? And I was going to ask a question about the business model of it, but 
I'm pretty sure that there's not really a business model and it's not really a money maker for you. No, it's uh, it's it's like I said, for that it's sponsorship based. That's the thing that's tough about the Miatas. It's like if if you want to be really competitive, you have to spend a lot of money, but that money isn't going to come back to you unless you're winning. And uh, even still, if you're winning, it's not going to come back to you completely. So it is an investment that you have to make for yourself. Obviously, I think running the Miata races keeps me sharp. It keeps me fast. Uh, and I think Preston can attest to that after top tening at, at Coda and and things like that. He's still running the Hoosier Super Tour all year in, in Miatas. And that's what I ran last year. I ran the whole Super Tour season. So all the national spec Miata races, 60, 70 plus drivers uh, was trying to do that. Uh, it cost me a couple thousand dollars to do. And uh, although I had the sponsorship to do it, uh, also the commitment and time that it takes to get your car right and, and things of the sort, it's hard to take off work to do it. So this yeah. year I kind of, I tried to scale back and uh, put all my ducks in the pond, try to collect all the resources possible to make an opportunity like this happen in ARCA, where I did have to spend a couple thousand dollars when it came to um, the equipment that I was required, all the prerequisites that I needed and all the practice that I needed um, uh, just those things. So uh, I've had to take a little bit off of racing this year. The only racing I've done this year, uh, was legend cars once, uh, in the winter, I did the road course race with Josh Williams motorsports and, uh, in the winter heat, that was, uh, whoever saw that happening, uh, you, you foreshadowed <laughs> it. If you saw that happen. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I got to race that, uh, the race at the Roval with Toby Christie. Uh, honestly, thanks to Toby Christie. That was the, the latest racing experience I've had. Good um, dude. Otherwise, the only track time I've had was every lunchtime break at the BMW Performance Center. I got to whip an M3 around the track, uh, <laughs> annoying all the people there. <laughs> so let's talk about all your different jobs, because as I mentioned, you know, I was talking to Brad before this and I was like, you have a lot of different jobs. Can you tell me all the stuff that you've done? And I proceeded to get a bombardment of about 10 texts, different paragraphs, all these different things. And I did some intel and I asked some of our mutual friends, too. You know, I'm having Brad on the show. What are some things, maybe some fun stories, something that, that you that I can ask him? And a lot of them came back and said, this man just does not stop. He just works. He races. He works. He races. That's all he does. So let's run through some of them. You were a valet at the beach. You were a shift manager at a yogurt shop, and you use that money to pay for your racing. You use all this money to pay for your racing, I assume. Uh, BMW instructor with Will Rogers. Are you at the same place, by the way? The same course? Yeah, we're, we're working in uh, Greer, South Carolina with uh, yep. also James Bickford works there as well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Small world this racing yeah. thing is. Uh, you worked at Kohl's. Love, I got this yeah. polo from Kohl's. Love Kohl's. Uh, K1 Speed. You worked at Joe Graf Jr.'s marketing company, some Dirt Vision stuff. Uh, I'm forgetting a bunch probably, and that's one, two, three, four, five, six jobs, not even counting the two that you do on the weekend plus the racing thing. So how the hell do you keep it all straight? Because I, I don't know. I can't keep it all straight. Uh, I, see, that's the thing. It's like, I, this is why I say racing is a very terrible addiction. You'd think uh, <laughs> somebody with this many jobs would be a drug addict, but I actually I'm a racing addict. So I yes. um, just, uh, I have, what I do is, is I, I try to juggle as many jobs as I can, not only because it keeps work fresh. I think like having uh, this many jobs, I currently hold honestly i hold like I, I will call it three main jobs right now and then like two side jobs right. where the bmw deals my day-to-day -day, so i'm there like instructing and and working with corporate groups and it's it's really fun to do it's really fresh it's something new every day and it, it keeps me honestly it keeps me happy honestly i think it's really fun 
it pays really well. And it's obviously a, a very, um, a, a skill-based job. And I, I really like doing things like that. Um, and then obviously in the weekend, I want to stay at the racetrack. So I do the, the tire guy deal for both of those teams, which, uh, is a lot of work, but it is, it is definitely rewarding. It keeps me in the garage and it keeps me keen to opportunities like this one. So, um, that, and, uh, but back when I was at home, uh, I didn't have the opportunity to work in motorsport in North Carolina because I, I couldn't really afford it and I didn't really have a real opportunity. So I was working as many jobs as possible to earn enough money so that I could, well, number one, save to move to North Carolina. Number two, also mm-hmm. still race. And uh, number three, like try to live because uh, my parents obviously let me stay home. I didn't have to pay rent, but still had to pay bills, still had to pay insurance, still had to pay all those things. Um, and it was a lot to juggle. So uh, the valet thing was cool. I got a lot of tips that helped me pay for the racing and I used my salary. Drive to... some sweet cars, I bet. Dude, I, I, <laughs> I've gotten to see so many cool things. I've actually got to meet Pitbull a couple times. That's oh, word. Another, really, really cool foreshadowing. I'm not going to say the name of the place because I would say it if they paid me. Don't worry, but they we'll don't. Do it offline. Um, but yeah, Pitbull used to go to the steakhouse at that uh, establishment and uh, he used to, like, he tipped me really well. He's a really cool dude. Uh, now he should be driving a Chevrolet, but back then I bet he wasn't. It was, he had a couple of nice cars, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, he was, he was a fun dude. Um, but yeah, just, was this uh, in South beach. Uh, this was actually in Hollywood beach, uh, hmm. where I'm from. So it's, uh, less than 20 minutes away from downtown Miami. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was on the beach. So it was pretty cool. My lunch break was just sitting on the beach eating subway. <laughs> That's hard. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. All right, let's get to some fun stuff. You ready? Let's go. Not to say this hasn't been fun. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what, when did you get so good at dancing? Like, why are you so good at dancing? <laughs> dude, I'm from, dude, uh, so I'm Dominican, man. I'm Dominican. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm like, <laughs> we, we dance. That's all we do. Like, we, you got rhythm in your blood. <laughs> yeah, man. I like, I love going back to the island, like visiting my family and, going out to the like the clubs and discotecas and all that stuff and just like dancing and and also being from miami like club life is really big like i'm not obviously i'm not like a super social person but i do love dancing like i was the type of dude like i would get off my shift at nine o'clock and club life was banging at like tuesday night so i would just go to miami go to the club pay like 10 bucks to get in watch like calvin harris or disclosure or something for ten dollars that's unreal just dance to like 3 a.m or something come back home (laughs) it was uh yeah man that was my life i loved it well i'm white and jewish so i don't have any rhythm and i can't dance so <laughs> hey man y'all get down at those weddings don't don't play yeah. man it's ba- fun. bar and bot mitzvahs are fun too yeah True. i'll give you that um you just dance all the time like i'll be at the track this is pre-covid obviously i'll be at the track i'll be walking up on brad he'll be dancing he doesn't even know i'm there uh we'll be chilling in charlotte he'll be dancing uh, I'll go on Twitter. I'll see him live streaming, like him DJing and dancing. I feel like that's all you do. Th- this is another job. It's a full-time job to be a dancer, entertainer. Dude, I love I love dancing. I love music. I love electronic music. I love dance music in general. Like yeah. I, I, When I was uh, not racing, I, I picked up music. I, I started producing music. I actually had like an alias where I had music released on, on Spotify and Apple Music and stuff like that, where it was just like oh, wow. something fun to do. Um, I'm not going to plug it cause I don't have any music out right now, but don't uh, worry about it. I produced for this artist called spark Skylark. He's a, 
he's like a singer rapper but he's into like dance stuff so i make dance music for him and it's, it's pretty fun so i do that on the side but uh yeah my whole life's music man other than racing it's music so i'm dancing all the time i'm thinking about music right now <laughs> <laughs> is uh is spark skylark related to chip skylark from fairly odd parents yeah bro he has a call he has a song called shiny teeth and me check it out is he actually? on spotify i swear <laughs> really yeah it's produced by our buddy seko yeo from the broward county scene wow uh, really good producer yeah i love it how about this softball league that you run down in north carolina it looks pretty fun i want to i want to have a guest spot maybe come participate when i come down dude i the more the merrier race car people softball league that Let's is go. uh so yo so the race car people softball league was something that Bozy uh had he had started uh, had the idea of uh, well, I had the idea of playing softball because I always wanted to play softball. I played baseball a lot in high school, I, growing up and stuff like that. And um, I missed the competition. I love the competition. I didn't get to do any softball leagues here because we all work on the weekends. So I was like, man, if all the race car people kind of came together and we all played softball on a day that we were not having to do something, which is like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that'd be cool. So we started the Facebook group, invited a bunch of industry people and Lo and behold, we had two full teams. We had like 30 people on the field at once. Like a really fun time where we all get to mingle amongst each each other and see how we're doing and check up on each other. Um, And it's really fun. So uh, the Race Car People Softball League, I guess the also, (laughs) uh, I guess an announcement for for that is now because Rackley is the primary sponsor of this car, Nick Payne, spotter Nick Payne for DGR and Bubba Wallace announced that whoever sponsored me primary should be the title sponsor of the race car people softball league so i guess oh this is the rackley race car people softball league oh man this is a big deal <laughs> yeah who needs man. the racing announcement this is the headliner here <laughs> yeah the rcpsl the rackley roofing rcpsl it's a mouthful but we'll work on it yeah, yeah. like ngots <laughs> yes that's right i feel like you were either a second baseman or an outfielder am i right uh, so in high school, I pitched because I was a terrible hitter. Uh, I used to play right field because I had a good arm. I played shortstop in a, in a, when I was younger. Uh, but I, since I grew, grew older, I started being behind on pitching. Uh, so I couldn't hit. So uh, I just kept pitching and um, did that all the way up to the JV level. Um, had a shot at varsity. I was like, man. I don't even care about this. <laughs> I wanted a race. So uh, I left and um, haven't played since, but then softball is keeping me kind of sharp. It's pretty fun. And uh, RCPSL. Yeah. I played as well in high school. Uh, I was not that good. Uh, I did start for senior day. I promptly committed an error, went 0 for 2, and was taken out and ran the scoreboard as I should. Dang, Davey. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> Hey, sometimes can't can't win every battle. <laughs> but I think I peaked in uh, it was either fi- I think it was fifth grade, maybe it was eighth grade. I don't remember. But I had like a hundred and two degree fever. Uh, our childhood team from kindergarten. We had the same team from kindergarten every year. We were in the championship game that year. It was going to be our last year because I think it was eighth grade. Because once high school started, um, that like youth league was done. We were playing like the best team in the last ten years. And it was like my MJ flu game. I had 102-degree fever. I went two for three. This big boy rumbled around the bases for a triple. And I made a diving stop at third base. And I really just think that, to this day, was my athletic peak. Yeah. We need you on board, buddy. We need Let's you go. on board. Let's, Let's go. Dude, it. Vargas was showing everybody how it was done last week. 
Not really? a sports guy. Hit some tanks, like doubles, straight up. Like it was awesome. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll count me in next time I'm in Charlotte. We'll we'll have a we'll have a cameo appearance in the RCPSL. Please save my spot. Hell yeah, bro! It's all yours. All right, let's do it. A couple more things. What are your thoughts on birds? They're not real. Obviously. They're government drones. Uh, they used to be real until the government. This is not the first them. time this has been talked about on the podcast, by the way, because Dalen was on last year. Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I mean, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? I can't say I have. Me neither. So when they're like chilling on the wires, like the electrical wires, they're just recharging, right? Yeah, and if you think about it, in New York City, there's a higher concentration of pigeons than there are in North Carolina. Think about population density. Where I've just moved in D.C., there's a lot around my area too. It lines up. All right, let's close it off with a question about why you always shank me when you see me. When did this start? I don't remember. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, you know, sometimes I love I handles. Just, pick, just look very inviting. I just, dude, I just pick things. Sometimes I come up to people, and sometimes we have a different greeting. Uh, Davy, I think it was really funny because every time I was going up to him, he never saw me. So like I would they'd be walking, he didn't see me. So I'm like, oh, it's a perfect opportunity. And I just do wanna do one of these. <laughs> and then, it's not just one of these, it's painful. <laughs> it's just my thumb, man. <laughs> my love handles are sensitive. Yeah, I, I was doing that to Davey. Every time I see him in public, I was just like, yep. <laughs> he never sees yep. me. So now he's like paranoid every time I can. Yeah. It's all right, now we're back. So I'm gonna be at Watkins Glen so we can hug and then you can shank me to your heart's content. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I've it always is. wanted to shank you. <laughs> yes. Well, you'll get your chance once again, and you will also get your chance on track. I, I seriously can't tell you how happy I am for you. I've seen firsthand how hard you work and how much you grind, you scratch, and you claw. And I know people may say, oh, it's just an ARCA race, but it's more than that to you, and I know that. So I appreciate you coming on here today. I appreciate your time. Thank you for telling your story and I am so looking forward to seeing that number 60, 60, number 60 Chevrolet on track at the Glen, man. We're so happy for you. And if you're not, you're a terrible person. So thank you for joining me, Brad. And I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate everything about you, brother. Oh, Davey, thank you. I, I It's crazy that this day has come and uh, I look appreciate at us. you. I know. Look at us, bro. You glowed up. I glowed up. We're we're all here. I'm, you know, super happy that I get to talk to a really good friend about a really awesome opportunity. And uh, just, I hope this is not the limit for both of us, man. Sky's the limit. How about uh, in 2026, five years from now, I'll be working for Fox or NBC or whoever has the TV rights at that time. You'll be making your first cup start and we'll do a sit down. How does that sound? Man, that'd be fun, man. Hopefully uh, the <laughs> cup series is fun then. Oof. Xfinity's where it's at. I know. Yeah, dude. Lifer for lifer. Yeah, I'm hip. All right, Brad. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. We'll see you soon at the Glen. See you there, buddy. And we're back. Big, big thank you to Bradley Perez for hopping on with me. I know he's doing a lot of stuff in life and he's doing a lot of stuff this week, but I'm glad that he was able to carve out some time for me. Clout9, if you're listening, shout out to y'all for being homies since day one. And congratulations to you, Brad. Again, so happy for you, brother. Can't wait to see what you do out there at Watkins Glen. Before we hit on our lug nuts of the week, let's do a sponsored read. 
again, I want to give a shout out to Rhino Classifieds because they came on the scene recently with a bang. They gave away Von Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. And Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling app that allowed their users to see what they wanted rather than all those ads that get in the way and all the crap that nobody wants. So head on over to rhino.co, R-Y-N-O.co, sign up for a free account and find the car part, race car, classic car, modified street machine, whatever it is you're looking for, or you can post yours, rhino.co, classified for racers, built by racers. Look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Congratulations to already parents, Joey and Brittany Logano. They are expecting their third child. And also Brett and Stephanie Moffitt. They are also expecting a child coming up. So congratulations to the soon parents-to-be and the soon third parents-to-be, I guess you could say. That's not correct, but I don't know what the proper terminology is. Folds of Honor and Quick Trip, they will be the sponsor of a race at Atlanta Motor Speedway next season. Bimbo Bakeries, say that five times fast. They're sponsoring JTG Doherty Racing next year. They've had Entenmann's on the car on the 37 this year for a couple races. Sage Karam, the IndyCar standout, he's going to be running for Jordan Anderson Racing, his Xfinity debut at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course later this summer. Taylor Gray is going to do a partial truck series schedule in 2022. Found that out by front stretches Mark Crystal at Iowa Speedway this past week. Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman and each of their crew chiefs, Alan Gustafson and Greg Ives, were both penalized for engine allocation infractions. 25 points docked from each driver, $50,000 fined to each crew chief, and Jeff Andrews and Scott Maxim, who heads up the engine department at HMS, have each been suspended for one race. And since it's the off week, that's a quick edition of Lug Nuts this week, and that'll wrap things up for episode 118 of Victory Lane 2.0. I appreciate you guys listening. And as always, subscribe and leaving a rating, leaving a review on your favorite podcast player of choice, Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, wherever you get your pods, we should be available there for your consumption. Got a lot of good feedback on the Alanis King interview from last week and appreciate her coming on, even though her take on pizza is absolute garbage. I will stand by that and I will die on that hill. And we'll have another guest on next week. I can give you a hint. It is a Rick Ware Racing Wheelman. Simmer on that one for a little bit. And after that, I already got another guest in the can from the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So you'll be sure to tune in the next couple weeks. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on TikTok. Do all the things that you got to do to keep up with my happenings because I am working hard for you. Until next time, stay safe, get outside, get vaccinated, and I'll catch you all on the flip side.